everybody, and welcome to the first episode of 2018 on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I'm an author and writer and doer of pretty much all things fitness and outdoors related. And I'm Peter Glassford, or Peter the Birthday Boy Glassford, as I like to call myself. I am slightly hoarse this morning, not because we got amazingly wild, but we were out last night. It's very we exciting. We are young. <laughs> uh, and I do also have to go to work today on my birthday, which is also New Year's. So we wanted to bring you guys a special New Year's Day episode uh, with a Ontario local athlete and actually probably one of our youngest consummate athletes that we've had. Uh, Jen Jackson is both a cross-country mountain biker and a cross-country skier. She was actually U23 national champ at Mountain Bike Nationals this year. Uh, She's super rad. She lives near here and yeah, we kind of get into some tips for skiing, tips for biking, and sort of how to balance the two. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a really interesting athlete, actually. she If you go into her Instagram, which we'll link and stuff, you can sort of follow. She had a pretty severe knee injury as part of her learning curve. She had a very rapid learning curve or exposure to mountain biking this year. But uh, Jenna's an amazing, she's a very positive person, really mm-hmm. fun. And so you can sort of see she was, you know, very quickly once she was cleared to exercise with her cast on, she was doing one arm pull-ups and all this stuff, what she had you know, done a lot of strength as a cross-country ski athlete. So she was sort of using all those consummate athlete things she had learned along the way. And, you know, she was back. I think she was back riding and having fun again, for sure. I mean, I don't want to I don't wanna put any words in anyone's mouth, but this might be the next Katerina Nash, if you guys remember I, Katerina's trajectory. I mean, are you going to become an announcer and start just saying this? I am going to do that, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a mix of, like, jinxing people. And I know. Just, like, I'm sorry. Katarina Nash is now annoyed. And... I don't think that's true. <sighs> well, if you like this episode and you haven't listened to Katarina's, Katarina also got a similar start in cross-country skiing before shifting to mountain biking, so I highly recommend going back and listening to that. Meanwhile, I'm trying to learn how to cross-country ski. Uh, it's harder than it looks, <laughs> and uh, it's going okay. I realize Peter's actually just really fast. I don't know if I'm fast, but I've spent a lot of time on skis. I've not. This yeah. is my maybe fifth time skiing ever. So we've had a pretty good consummate athlete Christmas. And actually, on that note, we're going to get into the episode, but tune in tomorrow because we're going to have another episode talking all about consummate athlete Christmas and sort of a really exciting kickstart to 2018. So definitely check back tomorrow for that. In the meantime, get outside. Oh, the sendometer was cranked so high. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. A little too high, maybe. Slightly too high. <laughs> but hey, if you if you don't crank it like a little too high, you never really know, you know, where the where the limit is. Yeah, exactly. So actually, with with that in mind, let's let's just dive in. So I want to talk first of all. Uh, congrats on the U twenty three national championship. That's pretty sick. Oh, thank. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were like the happiest looking person out of everyone I saw across the finish line, except maybe Brody. You and Brody might have been like equal levels of psyched. Yeah, it's funny because like Brody and I, after we went to Canada Games together, we were both just kind of talking about that, how we were both so happy, but just didn't really know how to express how happy we were. Like I was just coming across the line. I just, I didn't really even celebrate at all because it's just like, yeah, a little flabbergasted. It's like, 
did this really just happen? Like I had had a couple laps to process it. So I was kind of like, okay, I'm winning this race, but then you finish and it's like, Oh, I'm <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I actually, I know exactly how you feel. I remember the one like collegiate crit that I won. It was the first race I'd ever won. And I crossed the line and I just cursed. Like, I think I said the F word, like, <laughs> but like really happily, like just so excited. There was just a lot of emotions. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it just like, just like pure emotion like that. You just, it's all, it's so internal that, you know, like people on the outside just kind of see this person looks kind of dumbstruck, but yeah, I just like bubbling over. Yeah. So, I mean, before we get into the rest of the summer, I want to kind of back up. What's, give us your, you know, athletic background. It's very varied and I'm sure very long for the fact that you're only 22, but let's hear it. Yeah, how far back do we want to go, I guess? I, I mean, mean, what was your first, like, love? When did you first get, like, oh, my God, I'm an athlete? Well, like, growing up, my parents were uh, really good for just having my brother, I have a younger brother, uh, for getting both of us involved in just a lot of different activities. Mm-hmm. They always wanted us to have something, you know, something to go to after school and something to do on the weekends, whether it be, like, as a family or just on our own at the kind of teams and stuff. So I, in elementary school, was swimming, running. We did karate too. And then in high school, I played a lot of basketball. I played rec basketball for a while. And then was also running quite a bit, cross-country running. And then grade 11 and 12, kind of towards the end of high school, I started to focus and train. In grade 11, I started to train specifically for cross-country skiing because I wanted to after high school, go and join one of the national development centers. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of when I started to pursue skiing, you know, with the intention of trying to make a career and become, you know, an elite cross-country skier. What was it about cross-country skiing that appealed and kind of was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. How did you pick? (laughs) I think like a lot of it was the people and the challenge around it. Like it's like a cross-country skiing is a pretty just tough sport. Like I think most people who aren't, who don't cross country ski much themselves, they'll go and try it. And just physically it's extremely challenging, mm-hmm. but it's like being able to overcome that, especially it helps when you start young, like you get a hang of it and you're able to do something that other people can't do. Mm-hmm. And I think like that aspect of the uniqueness of the sport, but then also, you know, you have all these people on your teams that are also, they share that kind of, I'm not really sure what it is. There's, there's a bit of a mindset. It's just the culture around it that I just really enjoyed. And mm-hmm. and I, I was I was pretty good when I started, but I was far from being the best. Like, you know, I was kind of one of the better people in the province at, at my age, but at nationals, just, you know, getting my, my doors blown off. So I could, <laughs> see, I could see, though, like these girls that I was racing, it's like, oh, you know, I'd really like to try and, you know, be able to race more with them and ski, like ski better, ski technically like them. So I think that was part of it. And then good coaches too, through, I skied out of Highlands Nordic in uh, Dunshrun initially, and then switched to, to the hardwood program here in, uh, here in Oro. Okay. So I tried cross country skiing for the first time, I think two years ago. And I couldn't stand it because as a runner, I was like, I could run faster than I'm going right now because it's so <laughs> technical. So do you have any advice for anyone that's like, oh, cross-country skiing? 
how do, how do I cross country ski? <laughs> uh, like, like I said, like coming into it at, you know, as an adult or even like, you know, even just as a teenager, you see very few people transition into competitive skiing just mm-hmm. for that reason. It's kind of tough to really say. I should probably figure this out because I'm planning on doing some instructing this winter and have to yeah, figure out how to teach people how to get started skiing. But I think it is just a lot of people downhill ski or they have familiarity, mm-hmm. more familiar downhill skiing. And I think, or skating on ice. So they feel like there should be more edges on the skis. So I think the balance and just how to actually just like just simply balance and just bodily awareness of like how to move with these skis that you know you just attach the pin of your toe to the skis then you have poles as well mm-hmm. like just you know you see like people who are just generally athletic they have kind of an aptitude for that they often pick it up quite quickly whereas people who struggle with that often you know may never get the hang of it it like takes a lot of deliberate you know kind of balance and drill work yeah that. for sure uh, the bigger question, any tips on easy getting up when you fall cross-country skiing? Because uh, uh, that was my you... main limiter, like on the ground, like a turtle kind of situation. <laughs> oh, no. You ought to get your skis side by side and then just push yourself up kind of like laterally over your skis. Okay. Side by side. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. You're going to be in a cr- crouch first and then you then you got to stand up from there. Okay. Once you've untangled your poles and yeah. stuff, just get everywhere. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. So cross-country skiing. Then how did mountain biking come about? It just kind of came about. <laughs> <laughs> like quite literally. Um, so at the end of the 2016 ski season, like the wind, like the racing and stuff had gone really well that winter and I had some good results and I'd made some big steps, but I just was really struggling with motivation, possibly like in realize, like realizing and achieving some goals and then not kind of connecting with them. Like I'd expected to, I just felt like I really needed to have a break and just take some time to reevaluate where I was going, if anywhere with skiing. Mm-hmm. So I, I left the training center, which is up in Thunder Bay, and I moved back home for the summer just to kind of do a reset. I uh, got a summer job just at a local bike shop in Barrie. I wanted to work something kind of sports related, but not really anything to do with skiing. Oh, okay. And so I just started working working at Bikeland in Barrie. And then just by nature of being around some people my age who worked at the shop who were also riding. and Like, I didn't, I didn't own a bike. Or anything. I think my dad had actually gotten my brother and I uh, used cross bike that we just for some kind of cross training in the summer for skiing. So I was just riding that to work. But then you kind of like get invited out, like oh, you know, going for a staff ride, uh-huh. staff bike ride, <laughs> and then, you know, someone lends you a bike, you kind of go for a ride. And like I had quite literally, I think I might have mountain bike just like once or twice in the summer when I came home from like between ski training camps and stuff since like, you know, through high school, just like the odd ride here or there, like growing up, we'd ridden mountain bikes, but never were mountain bikers or anything. Right. Like I I knew how to ride a bike, but I'd never really done more than just kind of go out and tootle around. And yeah, just, I just started going out and riding more. And then 
some of the guys are like, yeah, Jen, you're like, you're, you're pretty good at this. You should, <laughs> you should, you should try, try a race. And I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of, you know, as far as training for skiing went, I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, get some race efforts in without being out on the roller skis, time traveling by myself. So, oh yeah. Off I went to some Wednesday night races, which were like a ton of fun. They have them every week at Hardwood. And then I went, I also went to like, to an O-Cup, just there's one nearby, just down in Albion Hills, and that went quite well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I raced like the senior expert category, and then after that, I think I kind of I had a bit of the the itch to do do some more racing. Yeah. So at what point? And I mean, obviously, you know, part of why you knew to you know go for a coach and start with kind of any kind of structure is because you grew up with cross-country skiing and running and all that stuff but yeah what point did you say okay I should get a coach I should start figuring this out I should you know make more of a plan rather than just jump into races whenever (laughs) yeah well I kind of by the end of the summer like I raced provincials as well so I did I guess like one you know kind of competitive mountain bike race last summer and then after that, I kind of had it in the back of my mind that, oh, maybe next summer I'll do some more, you know, I'll do some more racing at the start of the year because I really just started really doing more mountain biking in August of last year. Mm-hmm. So I, I still had been training like full time through the summer. I kind of had a resolve that I wanted to do one more ski season, and get closure on, you know, on my skiing and maybe I would find more motivation to continue towards, you know, the 2018 Olympics or this year. And I, you know, I wanted to give myself at least one more chance to like end on a positive note mm-hmm. and just even not necessarily in terms of results, but just like psychologically to leave in a good place with skiing. Cause if I had quit at the end of 2016, I would have just, you know, a lot of kind of unanswered questions. Sure. So I still like, I would, I had been training for skiing all summer and then at the end after mountain bike provincials last year I went back up to Thunder Bay where I was trained I trained on my trained and self-coached last year being off the training center but I was racing with the university team at events Mm -hmm. so I I was going to school part-time and and training and then I competed through the winter cross-country skiing again and then kind of come spring I think as ski season wound up I started kind of looking around like for coaches in my area around here sending some emails and just talking to people to get an idea of well just how the bike world works yeah (laughs) because like I I knew that if I was going to come into it and I wanted to race that I'd never had the technical instruction like I you know you can anyone can go out and ride a bike but to be able to ride a bike well and learn things formally you know you can it's pretty intuitive, a lot of it, but I knew I, w- I wanted to get some professional help just, you know, to give myself an honest, ch- an honest opportunity, I suppose. Yeah. So how was the learning the new skills and figuring out how to do the technical stuff? <laughs> um, I think it was, I wouldn't say I really learned anything, you know, like nothing there's no like huge light bulbs or just brand new things that I didn't know existed, but just having someone to formally kind of explain it to you. Like you're, you sometimes you're doing something, but you don't really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So being able to have, so that would give me, give me cues to work on technically so I could correct things as I'm riding, as opposed to just 
kind of going with the flow all the time. You have a little bit more of a process and evaluation of uh, how to ride and mm-hmm. uh, how, how to approach new courses too. So uh, that was all really good. Just, you know, kind of confirming what you do know and just, you know, kind of making it a little bit more formal understanding, I suppose. Yeah. And so how did mountain biking stack up with cross-country skiing? Did you find there was a fair bit of crossover fitness or skills wise or was it sort of a whole new world in terms of like racing each one is this i don't really know how cross-country skiing works as far as like efforts go i know mountain bike is so punchy and kind of up down up down it's pretty similar really because uh well a lot of the venues is actually kind of funny a lot of the venues are the same places like this year i raced uh, you know, there's races, there's nationals for cross-country skiing and mountain biking were in Canmore this year. So oh, like, funny. Quite, yeah, quite literally the same venue, you know, for the two sports I was kind of competing in this past year. And then, you know, both will race in places like uh, like Whistler or uh, Mont Saint-Anne. Like, so, like, the train is quite similar. And I found that the training in terms of, like, the intensity and even just like the volume of training that cross-country skiers and mountain bikers are doing is pretty comparable so it was just a matter of doing a lot of the same training but with you know on the bike instead of on skis or running or roller skiing like you would for cross-country skiing so Mm -hmm. in that sense it was a pretty easy transition that's that's awesome um, and then, so this summer, we'll, we'll get back to it. You, you did have a bit of a, an injury at Mont Saint-Anne, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. A bit of an injury. A bit of an injury. I'm using quotation marks. No one can see it, but yeah. yeah talk, talk us through that. Well, the race was going really well. I, I this is, this is the world cup. Uh, I'm an under 23. So I was racing the under 23 world cup in Mont Saint-Anne. This is like this is a case of like, I was there and this is all the summer escalating very quickly. I, at the start of summer would never have imagined I would be in. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Your first competitive summer and you win nationals, then you're at summer games and then boom, you're at a world cup. I know. I just, my life is just kind of complete detour and turn from anything I've ever done before. So it was all a lot to process, but mm-hmm. yeah. So I was, I was in, I was in St. Anne and, uh, I had very limited pre-riding cause I had just come straight from Winnipeg where we were at the Canada summer games. Right. So I, yeah. So we, I had got my pre-riding and I was actually feeling, you know, pretty, I was feeling okay about the course, like considering the amount of time I only had like two laps of pre-riding on it, mm-hmm. but, um, it poured rain overnight, which, um, for the under 23 women's race, is that 8.30 in the morning? Yeah. It, it, yeah. 8.30 is okay for me. I'm a morning person, but like it, it hadn't dried up at all. So, um, I got around the first lap clean. I was having a good ride. I think I was up in like around the like 10th, 12th. So I was having like pretty good start to the race. And, mm-hmm. But then coming down, coming down the Beatrice on the second lap, the first lap I'd taken the B line because someone had crashed on the A line. So anyways, I, but I had ridden the A line pre-riding. So I went to take it to, on lap two. And then there's like pretty gnarly rock garden towards the bottom of it. And just the line I'd been pre-riding on in the dry was fine. But then in the wet, it just 
it was a little bit too off camber on the flat rocks and it just lost the front end and Ooh. nowhere really soft to crash there it's all just it's all rocks yeah so I, I just the way I landed I cut open my knee and at the time that's all I thought I'd done right but I would later find out that I cracked my kneecap when you cracked your kneecap, I mean, did you were you able to hobble away or ride away or how did that work out? Yeah, so immediately, you know, you could you could, I could tell there's something wrong. I'd also right. hit, like I'd also landed like I cracked my helmet, so I knew you know that I kind of done that. I should not continue just for you know fear of a concussion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I got my bike and I just kind of limped off the course, but it didn't. Like, I wasn't able to walk, like, properly, but your kneecap's also not a weight-bearing bone, so I was able to kind of walk down the hill and get myself to the first aid, mm-hmm. and the doctor there just kind of cleaned it out, and I, I, asked, I remember asking at the time, so, you know, is there any chance that, like, I landed pretty hard, is there any chance, like, I would have cracked, I think I asked, is there any chance I broke my kneecap, and it's just kind of one of those funny doctor situations where... You were a little bit too relaxed, and I should have known, but yeah. he just said, you know, oh, but you, you you would know if you broke your kneecap, ah. as if to imply, like, I would be in a lot of pain, and I was, like, uncomfortable, but, like, wasn't in excruciating pain or anything. So that's not said, a oh, very okay, fair... Great, it's not broken. Yeah. Right? Like, that's not a fair assessment coming know, out of so a race. One of those... Like, you're in shock, there's a lot of adrenaline going, like... It's really hard to do any kind of self. Yeah, and you're also talking to an athlete. You know, we're all. Yeah. <laughs> Crap, Jen. Yeah, you were just breaking up there. Yeah, same. Weird. Don't nope. yeah. All right, everything is making sure all my stuff's plugged in here. Okay, I think I think I'm all right. It might just be my internet's being shitty. Okay. Decidedly possible. Um, if it happens again, I'll just restart Skype and hopefully that'll fix it. But I think we're I think we're okay. But okay, so once you've cracked your kneecap, does that always imply surgery, or is that sometimes a heal on its own kind of thing? Um. So like the the fracture I had, so I did end up going to a hospital when I came back home. So okay. I tried, I drove home afterwards with a few other people, and then went into the hospital. And because I actually the it got infected, so I needed to go in and get that dealt with. And that's when they took X-rays, and they told me that it was broken, but it was a non-displaced fracture. So it it was in terms of how to break a kneecap, it was probably the best way to do it. So yay. Thank goodness, right? And uh, so I just, I've been, I guess, five weeks now, and uh, one more week just in a completely, like, a brace that I keep my leg completely straight all the time. Ugh. And they just, they just let the bone heal. Because anytime, yeah, when you, anytime you bend your leg, uh, you can imagine, like, there's the tendon that goes over your kneecap, and then the muscles attach on either side, so I need flexion of your leg it just quite literally pulls your kneecap would try to pull your kneecap apart mm-hmm. so the only way to you know make sure that doesn't happen is just don't bend your leg so have you long... yeah that's a long time to not bend your leg yeah a long time to like not do anything because without 
I basically can't do anything from like the hip down yeah. on that side. So like, it's been a, a good rest period, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what you could do, and I'm just like a, a lot of bicep curls. Like, you can really get your arms going. Yeah, I've done a few. <laughs> been doing quite a few push-ups, like one leg push-ups, but oh, it's, it's just like one of those things that I'm not terribly. You know, I kind of need to physically need the time off, but then also mentally, like, you're just not super motivated to, like, do a lot of upper body physical activity. It just, you know, I've been doing a little bit just to maintain, you know, sanity, yeah. but <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. So is this your worst injury you've ever sustained? Um, it's definitely the one, like, I haven't, I've been pretty fortunate to not, uh, have had any serious, uh, or long-term or chronic injuries, really, in my career. Like, this is definitely the longest I've been out of commission for. Mm-hmm. Like, I did, I did break, I broke my fibula, I think, uh, 20, 2014, December 2014, at, at a ski race. And, um, but that, that didn't put me out that long. I only took like, because I had a plate put in, so they um, I didn't need a cast or anything, but I did have like a, a like a splint for the time, and it was non weight bearing for three weeks. But mm-hmm. I was able to start uh, using like an erg, the double pull, like pretty much like I think like three or four days after I broke it, I was training again, Ooh, doing a okay. lot of upper body strength because for yeah for cross country skiing like it was very relevant the upper body strength mm-hmm. and I was just extremely motivated to because it was in the middle like at the very start of the race season so I was motivated to like stay in really good shape and then make a big comeback for the back half of the season so mm-hmm. yeah so it's two broken bones now but this one's definitely been a, a much longer recovery process yeah um I mean with that have you started thinking about what's next are you gonna ski again this winter or is skiing kind of behind you uh i think i I, i'm done racing cross-country skiing competitively okay i still will definitely do some races you know locally here and there but i just don't have the motivation or desire to train and compete at a very high level anymore you know like this this year like it you know would have been it should or would you know whatever you want want to call it would have been a big year a big motivator with the Olympics mm-hmm. this winter, but I just it didn't I didn't connect with that. So I think you know that was a big sign for me to say, okay, you know what, this is kind of a bit of an end of an era for me. Yeah, country ski competitive lifestyle. Did you ever you know work with a sports psych? Have you just read a ton about it? Or are you just naturally really introspective? Um. Well, like there was definitely I, I have spend some time like some talking with sports psychologists like during my time like skiing Mm -hmm. but I never really found that I connected well or was able get that got that much out of talking to the sports psychologist Mm -hmm. I think because for me it's more important I just found that they it wasn't relatable enough conversation it would always come back that they wanted to help me add tools to my toolbox to deal with, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's what it's always about. It's like, oh, sports psychologists, they love the tools and the toolbox to deal with your issues when really I think I just was looking for 
a, someone to like kind of who understood yeah. my situation and like almost like for, on a personal level could relate. And, you know, I had like my coach up at the training center in Thunder Bay. We, uh, we got along really well. And like he, like through his experience, he had raced before. Like there's a lot of things that like we'd have conversations about and it really did help me. But um, I think, I think I think quite a bit. Maybe thinking <laughs> is the right word because I think thinking ought to be productive, but I ponder and kind of muse about things quite a lot. So I, and I got, I journaled quite a bit for a while. Like when I was going through just a motivationally my last year skiing, like uh, I journaled a lot about just kind of what I was thinking about and just, uh, you know, asking myself the questions you know, why, you know, like, why would I want to quit skiing? And mm -hmm. just like quite, quite, you know, just quite, you know, literally write down like, why right now would I want to quit skiing and stop doing this? And then, you know, make it, just write it down again, like, just why don't I want to do that? And just taking the time, you know, using those tools in the toolbox that sports psychologists were telling me to use, but doing it on your own. Yeah. And just you know, not having someone looking over your shoulder as you do it. I think that really just helps you understand yourself a lot better and just kind of come to peace with things. Yeah. I don't think enough people spend the time doing that. It's sort of, if they don't feel motivated, they wonder if it's, you know, something dietary or they're not training hard enough, or, you know, they try to look to all of these external circumstances when, you know, probably just taking like an hour to sit down with a journal would reveal a lot more than, you know, taking dairy out of your diet. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't like sometimes like I would look, I've looked back at them and I'm like, man, this is like, you know, that was, I was in a really rough place, just like, just motivationally and emotionally then. And, you know, it's tough to read it to say, wow, like I was, you know, I came through this, but then realizing that, you know, it then it, in, in the current time, reading about where you were before you know just really puts things into perspective of you know you can't everything does you know things you know the storm does pass mm -hmm. and as long as you just can find a way you don't dwell on the past or you know you don't try to live in the future that you know whole kind of matrix of being present yeah which is very difficult, I think, for a lot of athletes. It's easy, maybe, like, when the gun goes off, it's really easy to be present for the race. But I think a lot of the time we get so in our heads about, like, okay, what's next month? What's the next A race? What's the – yeah, we kind of forget the process and, you know, enjoying that part. Yeah, you have, you have, you have, your people become too goal or objective-oriented. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that's one thing I, I've given up – I gave up on goals last year. Like in terms of my my sporting and stuff, I said no more goals. Like, just it, they go like that. Not everyone can do that. And like I had an interesting conversation with my brother about this, and you know he, when we were a bit like a couple of years ago, even like I had all these goals and like places I wanted to be in skiing. I had like, all right, this is you know I had my short term, mid term, long term goals all laid out. Mm -hmm. and he had no goals. And I said, Ryan, like, why don't you have any goals? He just said, oh, I just, I just want to go race. <laughs> I just want to. And at the time, like I was so focused on climbing the ladder and progressing on, you know, to the next level that that just didn't register and make sense with me. But 
now looking back on it, I, I, I understand that. And I can see how, I see where goals are extremely valuable if you, you know, you need to measure things. You know, if you want to, if you do want to progress and move forward in sport, you need to have objectives because otherwise, you know, what, what are you working for? Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to really explain, but. No, I get what you mean. I think the other interesting thing with goal setting is people take a lot of time to set goals, but then maybe not a lot of time to set the like process and like figure out how they're actually going to get to the goals. Like, yeah, the, the amount of times I've written down like lose 10 pounds or something like that with like zero plan. Yeah, like why don't you write down like what do you like don't make that your goal, just write down like something you do every single day that's you know like smaller things right like exactly exactly so for you right now what are what are some of the things you're focusing on as you kind of come to hopefully the end of the rehab on this injury (laughs) uh in terms of well first of all definitely just be making sure that i recover from this well and that there aren't going to be any long-term ramifications Mm-hmm. Of the injury, which because it is just just I say just a broken bone, it's it. This the recovery is quite simple. I should just be able to have the bone be healed and then remobilize that. But do you mean like goals in terms of sport and sport life? I mean, like I said, I loved what you wrote in your little bio here, where you mentioned you wanted to be more than just a twenty four seven athlete. So yeah, how are you blending? athlete with student and you know human being at this point well i like to think of myself as being a a lifestyle athlete as opposed to living the athlete lifestyle i love that (laughs) i kind of said that jokingly to someone at one point and i think some people might take that as that i don't take my pursuits as an elite athlete very seriously but you know like there's different ways to be serious about it and I found the best way for me to, when it comes to race day, to to race well is just to not have the expectation or not feeling that I need to kind of think back on like, oh, I've just been absolutely dialed and I've taken my vitamins every day. I go to sleep and take my naps and do all this, you know, the, the 24-hour athlete stuff isn't what makes me the fastest. Mm-hmm. It's more important to me to be occupied and to have other things going on in my life. Like, you know, I work this past summer as I was, you know, racing quite a few Canada cups and then nationals and Canada games for mountain biking. And last summer as I was training, you know, had a full training schedule and a full-time work schedule, just like being balancing, you know, the life of, you know, pretty normal person, like going into work every day and, you know, punching the clock Mm-hmm. enjoying you know, I enjoy the work that I do and uh then also being able to train you know as much or as much as anyone else out there kind of that having that lifestyle is almost when it comes to race day saying man I'm not doing what everyone else is doing here and psychologically for me that's an advantage yeah like knowing that there is so much more behind what I've done than just the training hours like that. And then also knowing that after the race, you know, I'm just going to go into work on Monday after my race Sunday and 
90% of the people that come into the bike shop have no idea what just happened and, you know, kind of life goes on outside of racing. Yeah. But the 10% that do know what happened are probably super impressed. Yeah, they're they're psyched. They usually bring us lots of treats and stuff after a race weekend. Nice. (laughs) That part's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely one of the highlights. Yeah. Working at the bike shop is all the snacks people bring you. Yeah. So I was thinking about it as we were trying to figure out our our Skype connections. So you're only 22. In the world of cross-country skiing, where does that put you with women? Or is that like the competitive age? Because I know in mountain biking, there are tons of women who start their careers, you know, after 22 even. And those women, you know, have become world champions and, you know, have raced (laughs) professionally for 20 years. Like, is it similar in cross-country or is it different? Um, I think it's generally agree and you kind of see that the, the top performing woman in cross country skiing, like you, you peak in your kind of mid to late twenties, just physiologically, that's seems to be the trend, but it's kind of said earlier, there's no one, no one kind of stumbles into cross country skiing mm-hmm. at a later age. I think there's one, Justina Kowalczyk was one of the top cross country skiers for several years, you know, she was an Olympic champion she she started cross-country skiing when she was like 14 I think and that was you know when she started getting really good that was huge like for someone to come in at 14 and then to be a world-class skier is like pretty much unheard of like every almost everyone who at the world cup levels cross-country skiing is doing it since they're you know you know since they can walk pretty much okay yeah that's really interesting so you've still got like tons of time to like I mean, keep progressing in mountain biking, but in skiing, you pretty much had to be on that curve by that age. Oh, for sure. Like you have to be, and it's also a case of, you have to kind of be in the system as well. You have, yeah, you know, it's important cross country skiing because it all is a very national team oriented. There's no, you know, kind of private uh, money really in skiing. It's not like uh, in cycling where there are private teams and, support from like the industry so much because cross-country skiing especially in North America is so small it's um you know you can do quite well and become quite good you know however you want training on your own or with a training center but you have if you want to race world cups it has you know it's only supported through the national team like the national team is you know has the quotas to start world cups so you have to be in good standing and you have to qualify through their you know selection yeah and that so yeah in that sense it's a it's pretty you know one track to there's one way to become a world-class cross-country skier in terms of like the steps you take i suppose right yeah all right that makes sense um and then if you had to pick if you could race every race or you could just train which would you end up doing if you could either race and not train or just train because i i know in your little bio thing you also mentioned that you really enjoy the training process and i have to tell you i've interviewed a lot of younger girls actually when i was doing some shred girl stuff where they would say like i'd be like what do you like about bike racing and you know they're pretty young and they're you know pretty talented at a young age and they'd just be like i like winning and i was like "Ooh, okay (laughs) that's that's gonna be tough in a few years (laughs) um Yeah, it's hard to stay in front. 
Yeah, as it turns out. So, yeah, where do you fall on the racing versus training? And Peter would also weigh in on this because he would, in a heartbeat, say training because that's why he races, so he can train, basically. Yeah, I think Peter and I are probably in the same boat there then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I think I'm with you guys. I I find the training infinitely more enjoyable than the actual race itself. The racing actually... Yeah, like the training, but like, just like I said, like just the lifestyle, like, Mm -hmm. I like going out and doing putting in, you know, the hours of training structured or unstructured, and just kind of racing is almost a way to sustain the lifestyle, you know, kind of the lifestyle of training all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. so it seems kind of backwards, but I think it's kind of, you know, it's pretty healthy, it gives you motivation to race not for the result but just you know race to maintain you know to continue doing something you really enjoy mm-hmm. and yeah no I think you're totally right I mean that's I was so out of being competitive and then this season we were like okay we're gonna or last year I guess we were like okay we're gonna you know sign up for Ironman and that completely changed my training and I hated everything about the actual race itself but like man I loved the training process like that part was awesome yeah I mean, like mountain bike racing is pretty fun though. Like that's, yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's something I've kind of discovered with cycling, especially the mountain biking is that there's just, there, there is an element. It's just fun. There's an element of playfulness to it. You can go out with people who don't train and say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go for a ride? And you can both go out and have a lot of fun. But as a cross country skier, you don't just ask your friends who don't, you know, they don't, you know, your friends who don't train for skiing, you don't just say, hey, do you want to go out for a ski walk? Do you want to mm-hmm. go out for a roller ski? Like, the training for skiing is, pr- it's pretty deliberate. And that can wear you out, right? It's not, it's not just an, a- it's not just an activity in the off season. Yeah. And also roller skis look ridiculous. Yeah, um, I've had so many cyclists just ask me, like, you know, just the number one question, how do you stop? Yeah, how do you stop? I've been really curious about this because I always run when we're at hardwood, and I always see them coming down the hill, and it's terrifying. Yeah, you you just have to kind of coast it out, and see so you have you have to know the roads you're roller skiing on, and not kind of bomb down anything that there's a stop sign at the bottom, <laughs> because you quite you quite there's no brakes like you they're quite literally rollerblades without brakes. Oh my god, so you'd have You're to bail. On... Like, you would just be in the yeah. ditch. Well, you, you, the best way if you needed to stop in an emergency is is to hit the dirt. But you just if you offset your feet, mm-hmm. and then immediately when you hit it, you if you're going too fast, you just need to start running, basically. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's not as bad as you might think. Like, once you've done it a couple times, you kind of like, you can cut, you can cut a bit of speed by edging and kind of snowplow turning a bit but obviously they don't slide sideways but just pressing out you can you can cut quite a bit of speed like that Mm -hmm. but um it's not it's not admittedly a very safe activity at times yeah yeah it seems yeah but you 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 pick the roads though you know you pick some quiet pretty flat roads and you know all the times on training camps when you have vehicles you would do intervals up a giant hill and then they drive you back down Oh, okay. Then you don't need to come down anything. That feels <laughs> that feels really disappointing. <laughs> you climb up the hill and then get in the car. That's not how it works. 
Yeah, interval training, right? <laughs> well, that sounds yeah, that sounds terrible. So I'm I'm glad you're on the bike now and and not on roller skis. Well, um, I still roller ski a little bit. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, I, I still enjoy it. There is there are still things about roller skiing and uh, doing that that I still like. Mm-hmm. The big question with the fall coming up: Are you going to try cyclocross at all? Oh my gosh! Like. I was, after this crash and this injury, like, I was, I was very, like, you know, I was gutted to miss world champs and yeah. all that, but I was also pretty devastated because I was so excited. I was really excited to try cross this fall. I got a cross bike, you know, kind of before I went to nationals for uh, mountain biking and stuff, my new cross bike came in, I was psyched and, because, like, I do quite a bit of running, even still for, like, uh, training in the summer and just crossing like oh man this is like it's a great fit and it just it looks like a lot of it looks the racing looks very exciting it is like it, it seems to kind of stick together a lot more i'm not entirely sure why that is compared to to mountain biking but it just looks fun the vibe seems really good everyone seems to, who does it seems pretty pretty hyped up on it it's pretty awesome so yes, the answer is yes i want to but i just don't know if it's realistic right because, uh, yeah, like, I have one more week. Next week I get x-rays, and hopefully they'll clear me to start uh, doing physio and remobilizing my leg. But I've been six weeks with, like, no activity whatsoever, no cardiovascular activity. And I'm not sure how long it'll take to get my full range of motion, let alone strengthen my leg back. Right. So, like, maybe a late-season cross appearance, maybe the, like... Just for fun, of course. Yeah. I'm, I definitely want to try something out. I think it, I'll be able to get out for an O-copper. Yeah. Like oh, man. Okay, so then I have to ask, just any tips for anyone else that's in this kind of situation where they can't do any cardio? How have you been keeping sane? Um, I'm just trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been actually, I, I've just been, I've been going to work which, you know, it keeps me busy enough. Mm-hmm. So just working, if you, you know, if, if you can, you're still mobile enough to, you know, continue with your, your day job or if you go to school, just, you know, throw yourself in with that. But in terms of physical activity, like I've been going out and kind of, you know, we'll spin one leg on my bike to the mailbox and stuff, just get a little fresh air. And But I think you just kind of, you just, you do just get used to, the circumstances you're in like the first little while is pretty tough but once you get used to and your body kind of adjusts to the to not being that active Mm -hmm. then it it becomes easier it does just kind of work on some netflix yeah tv shows fill the time yeah i mean i think most people don't uh don't take enough off time anyway so Oh, really? Yeah. If anything, this is like setting you up like perfect for next year, really. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah, it def you know, it probably is. I was just kind of joking with my coach, just like, yeah, this is the first time I've taken hard time off, like in since I started training. So this is like you know, I just I never felt at the end of the ski season that I needed or really wanted to take time off I would always be like oh just you know it's spring go out and run you know just I just enjoy being active so much that I just Mm -hmm. never 
did that. So basically this, these six weeks off will allow me to absorb the past six years of nonstop training, <laughs> I guess. Oh man, you're going to be in like beast mode next summer. It's going to be amazing. Oh uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I hope so. I yeah. Mean, I still haven't really planned anything for next year. It's just kind of get through this and then plan, plan something out, but not plan too much. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap up. Uh, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Jen Jackson, Jen with two N's and Jackson with two K's. So you can check that out, I guess. Perfect. And we'll have links to that. And you've got the WordPress blog too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do have a blog. I uh, update that once in a while. Perfect. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash CAPOD. That's C-A-P-O-D for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.